If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for February 26, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of the program where we take a look at the news of the week and often the events of my bizarre life and where we provide you with a two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media and cultural political landscape. Uh, This is our number two, which means usually we have a a special guest. And this week we have a very special guest for a couple reasons, one of which he happens to be in studio, which is very rare considering the fact that I do this uh, show in a uh, not particularly uh, well-populated section of Southern California. But this guy happens to live nearby, and he's also a very good friend of mine. He's a uh, filmmaker who has done a lot of things I'm sure you've heard of. He was uh, probably um, first known for having written the the um, TV series or movie the day the, Re- the day Reagan was shot. Uh, he was also came to my knowledge with the ABC miniseries The Path 9/11, which he wrote, which created an enormous amount of controversy. He has directed two uh, major theatrical films: The Stoning of Soraya M. and this past year, The Young Messiah. And his name is Cyrus Narasta. Cyrus also happens to be a very good friend of mine. Good to see you, buddy. Glad to be here. <laughs> you are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what, today's Oscar Sunday. I can say that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's uh, it's an exciting time for the movies. We think. Well, that's part of why I asked you to come in. I asked you to come in for a couple of reasons. One of which is the timing of the fact that uh, today is is Oscar Sunday as we record this, and. Um, and, you know, there, there's also the fact that you're in a, a very, very small club, which right. are the club of people who are actually friends of John Ziegler, a guy who, hate, right. a guy who hates people. Yes. So, 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 and this is, this is not, this is a, this is a club without a lot of benefits. Does there, that there, mean I'm not a person? No, no, no. This means that despite the fact that I don't like human beings, for some reason, you and I are still buddies. And I, I think I'm the same way. Are you, well, is that maybe that's the key? <laughs> maybe that's the whole key to the thing. All right, now we be, just so people understand, you and I met as I already alluded to when you wrote that two-part miniseries back in 2006 that aired on ABC called "The Path to 9/11," which uh, created enormous amounts of controversy because 
At the time, everyone thought in 2008 Hillary Clinton was going to run for president and she was going to be president. Remember those days before we ever really knew who Barack Obama was? And Bill Clinton and his former administration went bananas on that on that two part miniseries, which, in my view and the view of many other people, is the greatest film production ever created about 9-11. And you deserve an enormous amount of credit for that. Uh, but it didn't turn out the way that you guys had anticipated or hoped, and I ended up doing a documentary film called Blocking the Path to 9-11 for Citizens United, which is still available, uh, blockingthepath.com, I believe is the website, uh, about that entire controversy. And so um, you have an interesting, I think, take on a lot of things because of your background on, in that controversy, but one of which was, I'm curious, um, I know you're not a huge Donald Trump fan, but there had to be at least a little bit of uh, joy uh, for, for Cyrus Narasta to see that the Clinton machine was finally and thoroughly defeated in 2016. Is that an accurate statement? Yes, that is an accurate statement. Look, I think a lot of people are happy to be rid of the Clintons. And m- most of all, uh, people in the Democratic Party should be happy to be rid of the Clintons because she had every conceivable um, you know, advantage imaginable, and she still figured out a way to lose. But from a personal standpoint, see, yes. I, a personal standpoint, is that kind of like a monkey off your back that you no longer have to worry about being potentially blackballed by the Clintons because they're now powerless? Yes. I mean, that's one shooting direction from which I don't have to duck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's a serious <clears throat> issue, right? Because, well, yeah. Because you've had situations. In fact, you've, <laughs> you've even had a situation which just came to my mind where you were working on a, a potential major film. And you had a star who was attached to that film. And Bill Clinton had a conversation with that star, not realizing, I don't think, that, right. y- that you were attached to the project. And so, you, you, know, you know, that would be a, a major concern, right? He could torpedo the movie simply by a well, couple of words. And now you don't have to worry about that. Well, actually, uh, way back when, shortly after the Path to 9-11 controversy, I was hired by Oliver Stone. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. To write a script at Paramount. Okay. And the head of production at Paramount got a call from Clinton's chief of staff saying, why are you working with this guy and what's this about? So I've had that happen a a, a few times. Um, The Clintons don't forget. And uh, but no, I'm I'm not sorry to see them sort of march off into wherever they're marching off to. And just for the record, the path to 9-11. This two-part miniseries, which has never been seen again, uh, ABC Disney have, has censored it, even though it was supposed to air on anniversaries into the future. It never did. It was never allowed on DVD. In fact, the, the only way you can ever see the censored scenes, the key scenes in the film, in my, in my view, is from my documentary, Blocking the Path to 9-11. Uh, all of that happened because it was perceived as an anti-Clinton film, but it's really not. No. You, you, you were... You, you had no way, shape, or form. And yeah. you, before that, you were not even known as a conservative. You became a conservative because that was convenient for the Clintons. Well, they wanted to pigeonhole and attack me, so that's the best way to do it. Uh, they made a, a bunch of outlandish claims, like I, I, I'd written the script with Rush Limbaugh. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget Christopher Hitchens saying to me and complaining about the miniseries, saying I was too kind to the Clintons. You were. No, you were. I mean, but... I also understood the political climate, and the first time I ever saw it at a pre-screening, uh, I, I went up to the guy whose idea it was. You were the writer, but the guy whose, whose inspiration it was is a 
flamboyantly gay liberal uh, who worked for ABC, yeah. and I told him, uh, this isn't going to air. Uh, th- this thing is, you're going to be in big trouble here because the Clintons are going to go crazy. And he thought I was nuts. I, I, mean, I did too. I mean, <laughs> I, I heard that, and I, when I heard it, I thought people were nuts too. Um, we were wrong. Uh, you were you were on it, um, and you know you should say to your viewers too that it did air, and the one time that it did air, although edited, we had 28 million viewers over the course of two nights. It was huge, right? right. So we did very well. It's not as if you know. Uh, it was a business decision, which they claim to sort of shunt this aside. The fact right. of the matter is, if it had been a business decision, it would be playing every year and would be available on DVD and streaming. Absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, the only unfortunately, the only place that I know that the whole film is available is basically in your garage. Yes, it's- I have the complete uncut version <laughs> in my garage. <laughs> People come over and watch it in my garage every every couple of weekends. Which is just so tragic. It's just so tragic because this this film is so good and so important, telling the the full story of how it is that nine eleven came to be. Thus, the name Path to nine eleven. It's it's not a partisan. It's not politically correct, uh, and it's exceedingly well done and very compelling. And it's just so tragic to me that that piece of history. Which which could have could have played an enormous role in America's consciousness about that event for years to come. I mean, it was supposed to be used in schools. Schools were supposed to use this film, and they all bailed because of this controversy. It's just so tragic to me, and and, and so sad. Um, and, but I'm glad though that it hasn't destroyed your career totally. Uh, <laughs> because frankly, when we first met, I thought it might. Uh, did well, you? So did I. I mean, look. Uh... There was some there was some rough sledding there, and maybe uh, things would have gone smoother if uh, the controversy hadn't happened. But you know, I stand by the miniseries. I stand by the choices we made. I think they were fair choices. There's nothing, if anything, any revelations that have come out since have supported us, including the the audio tape that came out of uh, a, a, a speech that Bill Clinton gave that on September 10th, 2001 in Australia, Ugh. which if we'd had at the time would have blown this whole thing out of the water because was, he was saying exactly basically what we were saying in the movie. And right what you just said there is the essence of the whole thing. This is how nuts and how broken our, our public discourse is. Bill Clinton led a search-and-destroy mission on you, personally, as a filmmaker, to successfully censor a docudrama, two parts, on ABC on the fifth anniversary of 9-11 because you had correctly uh, dramatized efforts by his administration which failed to get Osama bin Laden because they were afraid of the impact of a of something going wrong. That Clinton was afraid to get bin Laden. He had the opportunity and didn't do it. He led that mission to destroy you, Cyrus, knowing he had given a speech the night before 9-11, which was recorded in Australia, where he says the exact same thing. He brags. He brags on that tape. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I had a chance to get Bin Laden. I, I didn't take it. I thought, you know, I didn't think it was a good good call, and I, I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, that yeah, that's, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. That's no, what he it, said. He basically said they were concerned about collateral damage, right. i.e. political ramifications if it goes right. wrong, et cetera, which is basically what we said in the miniseries, what he was so upset about, saying we never got that close. We never had a choice to get him. We never, et cetera, et cetera, he kept saying. Um, but you know what? We move on. Uh, I'm still here. I'm still working. I've, I've done, I think, some good work since. Um, would it have been a smoother ride if this hadn't happened? Probably. One last thing on Path 9-11 before we do move on, uh, and we will very short order. Those who, um, who are trying to remember Path 9-11, this was the line that I used to end my old radio show on KFI in Los Angeles every single night with this great line that you wrote that was uttered by the uh, legendary Afghani rebel uh, Masood, who was fighting on our behalf, who was frustrated by our lack of determination to get bin Laden. This was, was that uh, phrase from the path 9-11. Are there any men left in Washington, or are they all cowards? <laughs> I, that is just tremendous. I are love there it. any men left in Washington, or are they all cowards? You know, it's funny because uh, I had seven lawyers leaning over me when we were writing that, mm. and they said, you've got to justify this line. Because he never said that specific line exactly as quotas anywhere, but I was able to justify it by a whole series of pieces, magazine pieces and others, where he was complaining about lack of action. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it comes under, okay, yeah, we can support this. So the lawyers okayed it. This is the process. These are the kinds of hoops that I had to jump through to get this miniseries made in the first place. So the, the vociferousness of the attacks against it, I think, were just based upon the fact that they knew we hit a home run, that we were on to them. It was a hot-button issue. They had to destroy me. Amen. That's exactly what happened. And again, the, you can get the, my documentary about this at blockingthepath.com. Now, obviously, Hollywood is all in a tizzy. This obviously is Oscar night, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot of uh, indications of this during the broadcast. We've already seen it in other award shows, where Hollywood now feels this compulsion to show the public just how against Donald Trump they are. What has you, is a guy who's a, a right-leaning a guy who is not a big fan of Donald Trump. What has been your reaction to the over-the-top reaction to Donald Trump by Hollywood? Well, you know, as far as my politics goes, I'm called. I am called right-leaning. I'm also called libertarian. I'm called a lot of things. I guess I'm in flux. I think that a lot of the definitions that you and I have been used to for so long sort of don't hold anymore. Correct. And I think Donald Trump is partly responsible. For that, yes. Also, the conservative. Uh, let's say I, I like to think of myself as a Kennedy Democrat and a Reagan Republican who's now libertarian. But those who were or thought of themselves as Reagan Republicans, I don't even see how they can sort of throw in with the Trump crowd. I don't get the connections anymore. I don't mm -hmm. get the lines anymore. So, but I think look during the election, during the campaign, everything was thrown at this guy. And nothing stuck. And now he's been president for a little over a month. And it's like this daily onslaught, especially coming from Hollywood, uh, of attacks. And I just think at a certain point, people are going to be numb to it. And if, and if anything, are going to start to sort of react 
against it and then maybe, you know, sort of try to separate themselves and say, well, wait a second, I'm getting pounded with this message every single day. How does that connect with what's really going on and what's really happening? So I think in a, in, in, in a weird sort of way, should it continue at the rate that it is, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're doing the damage to Trump that they think they are. So you think Hollywood is actually inadvertently <clears throat> helping Donald Trump? Yes, I do. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like there's this school of thought now. You have to sort of conform uh, to a certain set of beliefs. It's like if you, you have to get up at the awards show now, even though the guy before you and the guy after you is basically going to say the same thing, you've got to say it too, because if you don't say it, you might be targeted. I mean, now they're, they're going to they're going to get these little ribbons or things that they're going to put on their on their jackets and this and that. And and heaven forbid if you don't have that ribbon on, you know, you might your your loyalties might be called into question. It's almost kind of like a the Stalinist atmosphere, where you know the first guy who'd stop uh, clapping at a, after a Stalin speech was suddenly spirited away. Uh, by the KGB and, and sent to a gulag because he stopped clapping before everybody else. You know, there, there, there is a stifling sort of conformity to it all. And, and it makes me understand anyway, and, and I think Hollywood is still ripe for it, uh, why the blacklist happened, you know, like it did. There was a stifling conformity back then. And so in a way, you're, you're, you're looking at this as kind of like uh, Stalinism in reverse, where you have to take like this reverse loyalty pledge. Right. You, you, you're not in the club in Hollywood unless you have made an anti-Trump statement right. pu- publicly. That's right. what it's starting. Look, that's what it's starting to look like to me. And I think that carries with it its own dangers and its own, its own series of problems. And I don't think it accomplishes what Hollywood wants to accomplish, which is to delegitimize Donald Trump and his views. I mean, he's only been in office for a little over a month. It's just like, are, are they going to be able to keep up this level of uh, diatribe for four years? I mean, well, I agree with that, that they're overreacting a little bit. Uh, and and the other thing, and we talked with uh, Larry Wilmore, who was my guest last week about this in the, in the realm of comedy. And I think it was the exact same thing. I'm curious if you agree with regard to Hollywood. It's hard to take an entity seriously when for eight years you're completely in the tank for the other side. You you know, Hollywood never says nary a negative word about Barack Obama, nothing but praise. He's like a god. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to take you seriously when you tell us that Donald Trump is the worst thing ever? Well, it's not only that. Every four years we are told it's it's like uh, the guy who screamed fire. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. every four years we're told that this new Republican is the worst enemy of women. The worst enemy of humanity is a fascist, is a racist, is this and that. And I think people are just numb to it now. They've just heard it, and it's the same old stuff. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I'm not a Donald Trump fan, okay? I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, let's see what happens. Um, But you know what I mean? Even if you say that, I mean, I think it was Nicole Kidman or somebody said was it Clooney or Nicole Kidman said something to that effect? And Matthew she got, McConaughey. Yeah, McConaughey. They got they, they they get slammed, you know, for saying something that neutral. Like, hey, he he he's dutifully elected. Right. He's the president. Let's at least give the guy a shot and show how open minded we are. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk to you about the whole movie making process and whether or not <clears throat> Hollywood is broken and and maybe get into some of the uh, the Oscar stuff tonight. But before we leave Trump. 
One of the movie projects that you have um, been working on for, for several years is about Andrew Jackson. I don't know if you want to, do you want to say the title of that or? No, it's a, it's a movie about Andrew Jackson and the Battle of New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, so, and, and a lot of people, including Trump himself, I don't know if you heard him do this, have compared Trump to Andrew Jackson. And I know as a filmmaker, uh, you, you do a lot, a ton of research um, when you do your historical docudramas about who these people really were. And you, you don't just, you, know, you don't do fluff. You, you do real hardcore research. Uh, you, you know, your li- my, my daughter loves your library because you got you know, more books than she's ever seen. She's like Belle in Beauty and the Beast when she goes into Cyrus's library. She loves it. And um, I'm curious, what do you make of that comparison based upon your research into Andrew Jackson and Donald Trump? You know, I get it, actually, to a certain extent. I mean... Andrew Jackson was a was considered kind of the first populist president, and he was one of these guys who had sort of no ties to the old colonial establishment. Um, he was a different kettle of fish. But I do think, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I I, I think that uh, Jackson Jackson shot a guy out on the balcony of the White House. I mean. <laughs> I can see Trump doing that. <laughs> I mean, he's, he was he was a he was a character. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, uh, a, a lot of the old guard, the founding fathers, really felt that it might be the end of the republic when Jackson was elected president. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it does sound familiar. So you know, um, but Jackson also was a war hero and rode that uh, into the Oval Office. Um, well, in Trump's mind, he probably is. So there's, they got that in common, too. They got that in common, <laughs> yeah. I mean, was Jackson uh, as nearly an egomaniac as, as Trump appears to be? You know, I, I actually think he was, John. Where they, <laughs> this is a guy who fought over 100 duels. If anyone made some kind of feigned critical comment towards him or his wife, who he basically stole from another man, and he was accused of being a bigamist, uh, or she was, um, he would challenge them to a duel. Um, so, so basically, if Andrew Jackson had Twitter, then the whole thing would have been very different. He just would have fired off mean tweets. Yeah. And then, so Trump, or or he would have challenged people to duels <laughs> via Twitter. Very, via Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, um, one other thing on the political philosophy of Hollywood. I have a theory, and and you know. I haven't been part of this group for a very long time. I don't even know if you still go to the events, but there's this formerly secret group called Friends of Abe, which has now been very public, which Gary Sinise uh, helped uh, found here for conservatives in Hollywood. And I've always felt, and one of the reasons why I left the group, for all intents and purposes, is I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding uh, among the the people within this group about Hollywood's bias. And tell me, I don't know. I don't even know what your opinion is going to be on this, so I'm curious what your response will be. My theory is Hollywood doesn't care that much about hiring you when you're a conservative. They just won't let you do overtly conservative projects. So it's not a hiring freeze against conservatives. It's the, it's the subject matter that they care more about, mm-hmm. even, even though within FOA there's this paranoia, oh, I can't get hired because I'm a conservative. No, maybe you can't get hired because you suck. I mean, it, it, that's possible too. So where do you stand on that? No, actually, that makes sense to me. Uh, I, I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've been in rooms where people think it's just kind of, isn't it neat that this guy might be conservative? <laughs> like you're a, a let's, creature let's, from outer space. Uh, yeah, let's <laughs> trot him in the room and have some fun with him. We'll poke at him a little bit. 
And uh, I, I, I do get that. And I think they also like the idea that they can actually maybe debate or have a conversation with somebody who doesn't think exactly the way they do all the way down the line, which is what they're used to. So, because the echo chamber can get pretty dull, even for a liberal. So, uh, but I do think you're right. I do think it's hard to uh, sort of, especially in an election season, to sort of put up a very, uh, you know, ideological partisan movie, um, I think would be very difficult. As an example of that, tonight, Mel Gibson is nominated for Best Director. And he'll get a huge round of applause. Because why? Because he's not Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not Donald Trump, man, you are in clover. It's like, they, you know, I'm not going to the Oscars. I do not have a limo waiting outside. (laughs) But I assure you, Mel Gibson, I think he may even be presenting, will get a huge ovation. But this was a guy who just a few years ago was persona non grata. Right, right. But he never said anything against Obama. Okay. Or he never said anything. He never said anything pro Bush. He just got drunk one night and said some stupid things. Okay. And he made a Christian movie that made a ton of dough. Well, but see, that's the key. <clears throat> see, if you make a ton of dough, all all is forgiven, right? That I mean, could be. and also he managed to sort of do his penance, pay his price. It took a few years, and he came back and he's made a, a movie, and you know, it's made some money. It didn't do passion type business, but it's done solid business. Well, speaking of Mel Gibson, let's talk about the movie that, that you made that came out last year, which clearly was, uh, you know, you was in the, the realm of what Mel Gibson is now known for. Uh, you made a movie about Jesus Christ as a child. Yes. Uh, called uh, The Young Messiah. It was based on a book by Anne Rice called Christ the Lord. And, um, and, I've, and I have, as your friend, I have lived uh, vicariously through this movie for many years. And to me, the story of this movie... Uh, is extraordinary, but also in some ways probably not all that unusual. Uh, and I think it shows a lot about how I view Hollywood to be broken and why it is that so few really good movies ever get made anymore, at least for someone like me who actually cares about a storyline and likes a movie that takes chances and likes a movie that actually makes sense and, and has something to say. Uh, I thought uh, Young Messiah was tremendous, uh, but it did not get the the box office reaction yeah. that you were hoping for. But let's let's go in the. I know you could talk for hours about the making of that movie, but let's go through the timeline just real quick because I think it exposes. And this is a movie that just last month uh, won several big time uh, Christian awards. Oddly, Mo- what, movie guide awards. Yeah, uh, uh, oddly, which what, is which is sort of f- faith and family awards. Okay, but and and one for best picture, one for, uh, the 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 kid, best newcomer uh, actor. Uh, yeah, young, uh, young Adam and his Adam's last graves. Adam Greaves Neal. He played uh, young Jesus. Right. Yeah. He was tremendous. Okay. So the point here is that the movie was well received uh, by people who, who watched it, but for various reasons, didn't find the audience that right. was was being hoped for, was expected. Th- this movie was actually m- attempted to be made twice, or at right. least twice. The first time was uh, effectively, anytime you get a movie made in this day and age, it's a miracle to begin with. So you have a miracle, you go over to Italy to start shooting, 
This is several years ago. You think, <clears throat> fantastic, after all this fight, we, yeah. we fought this, this incredibly long war. We're finally going to get to shoot this movie. We got the kid. We got everything ready to go. And what happens? Well, the financing fell apart. So we had spent $3 million prepping the movie in late 2012, early 2013, and suddenly we are shut down like a hammer blow. So we're $3 million in the hole. And now we got to try to get the movie back up. And it was actually a miracle that we got the movie back up. And it was out uh, March of last year. But we knew, I would say, two months, two and a half months before release that we were in trouble because Focus Features, the studio that we work with to market and distribute and, you know, the people who were holding our hand through the whole process, they all got fired. So now we got a new regime coming in who doesn't want to spend money on the outgoing movie. I think there was, I think that was one, probably the biggest problem or obstacle we had to finding an audience. I think there were others though. Uh, We're doing a movie about Jesus as non-biblical, unbiblical as they say. Yeah, this is Jesus as a young child, which which has never been told before. This is a story that's never been told before because it doesn't come from the Bible. Right. So it's based on an Anne Rice novel. Anne Rice left the church. I mean, they're just, we had a lot, of hurdles to overcome. I also think it was a mistake, and Chris Columbus was the first to say this. He said, why are we releasing at the same time around Easter as every other faith-based movie? Right. Turns out there were a half dozen or so movies, including one called Risen, which had Romans in it, and we had Romans in ours. I literally had people, relatives of mine, who thought that Risen was my movie. Oh. So <laughs> that's a problem. So, uh, so you know what? You pour your heart and soul into these things. You spend five years doing it, and you make the movie. But that, and you live or die. You literally know within minutes, sometimes days or weeks, even before you release, whether you're going to find an audience or not. Well, I want to talk about that, but let me, let me just back up just just a second here. Um, and I agree with you, by the way, that your movie was a Christmas movie. It was not an Easter movie, and had it been released. This past Christmas, I think it could have done exceedingly well because there wasn't that much competition. But no. this is this is the way life is, and it uh, there's a lot of luck involved and a lot of yes. things that have you have no control over. But just just to review this process of this, because because to me this exposes how broken Hollywood is. You have this tremendous writer and director, you and your wife Betsy. You write this movie, uh, you you direct it. You, it's a miracle to get the funding. You're there in Italy. You're ready to go. Everything collapses. You think it's done. I mean, you you sent me an email. This is over. Devastation. You know, the, 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 you know. Basically, I thought, oh my gosh, is he going to kill himself? I mean, this is. And I understood it. Why you? Not that you're you're that type of person, but it was it was it was incredibly depressing. And you know, I'm just your friend. And and then a second miracle comes. And 1492, Christopher Columbus comes on board, big, you know, big name, Harry Potter, the whole business. This is going to be big time. You, you get the movie made. The, the, you know, it, it comes off perfectly. It's wonderful. It's exactly like you ever hoped it would be. And, and everything is perfectly set up. And then just before release, having nothing to do with the movie, the people at the company in charge of the movie all get fired. Right. And so you're basically hung out to dry. This is no, yeah. This is every filmmaker's nightmare, by the way. This is this is this is one that a lot of well, I, I heard from a few directors I know. And thank you for reliving it for us, uh, yes. Cyrus. Uh, <laughs> but, but so so a couple months. So and you called me and you said I think we're screwed. That's I don't think that's what you said, by the way. But I mean, you, you basically right. you, you said that we were in big trouble. 
Um, and I and I here I'm trying to be you know the helpful friend and being I'm not known for being an optimist, but I'm thinking well there's still some way we, this can be pulled off. Uh, but it turned out you were right because especially in Hollywood, but in life in general, people always do what's in their self interest. And if they have a self interest in you being successful, they're going to make sure you're successful. If they don't give a shit about whether you're successful, guess what? They're going to let you hang. Right. And they let your movie hang because nobody in the outgoing regime cared and no one in the incoming regime had any 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 uh, skin in the game. They they, right. they, they weren't go- they weren't going to have their careers enhanced if your movie did well because they weren't responsible. Right. Look, and, in order to get, for a movie to succeed, all cylinders have got to be working overtime to make this thing happen because that sort of out of the blue uh, hurricane that occurs sometimes where there's just this perfect storm where a movie just appears and becomes this huge hit out of nowhere, that doesn't happen very often anymore. Um, So, you know, you need everybody focused. You need the teamwork. Uh, But for me, it's like what I've learned over the years from my experiences, whether it's Path to 9-11 or the day Reagan was shot or whatever it is, uh, the young Messiah, Stoney of Surayam, it has to be my own personal sort of connection with the project. In other words, did I accomplish what I wanted to accomplish? Did I make the movie that I wanted to make? And you sort of have to have this Zen uh, sort of, you have to separate yourself from all the chatter that goes on uh, around these things. And and I think that says so much about the nature of Hollywood and, and movie making, which again, I want to get to, but just la- one last thing on, on The Young Messiah. Because I think this will show people uh, what kind of business movie making is in this day and age. You've already alluded to it a couple of times. So you're, you're already concerned because the company no longer has an incentive for your movie to succeed. <clears throat> and the movie comes out, and, of course, that first weekend box office is everything. Right. And it's Friday afternoon. Right. right? The, the, the theaters have barely even <clears throat> opened. It's Friday afternoon, and you and I are in communication, and you already know you're completely screwed. Right. They're, I mean, not just suspicious of it. You know it. That's how exact the science has become. The, the weekend hasn't even really begun, and you already knew how hosed you were. Yeah. Uh, take, take me through it's that. It's terrible. I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, the first matinee showings on that Friday afternoon, the movie opens by, by the— Let's say it's a one o'clock show. By one thirty, they know whether you're toast or not. And we knew we were toast by one thirty. Okay, there was an email that went out from the head of distribution at Focus Features to all the people involved with the movie, and is basically saying these are the numbers. Uh, this is what we anticipate we're going to do today and this weekend. It's not good. In fact, it was terrible. Okay, mm-hmm. so we knew by that. I mean, I I, I think I saw you that evening. We had dinner. That's right. <laughs> you, you, your wife, and I had you dinner. Were, you I, were kind enough to join us and sort of soothe us through our <laughs> through our crises. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was at, a, at a wake. Uh, it was. Uh, I was glad I could be there because because if you if you know, Sai, you you know this better than anybody. If there's one guy you want there when you have a career disappointment, it's John Ziegler because he can relate. Yeah. There's 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 a guy there's a guy who has lots of experiences on which to draw that can make you feel better about yourself. Well, but so, this just gives you an idea, though, with all of the foreknowledge of all the incidents that we've been talking about, the people, the studio getting fired, et cetera, the yeah. obstacles we faced, 
uh, with the Christian community, et cetera. We still held out hope. Right. Because this business is basically one that attracts dreamers. There you go. So, you know. Well, it's, okay, but see, to me, my theory on why, of the many reasons we've already discussed about why the Young Messiah didn't hit with theater audiences, thankfully, by the way, there's indications that it's doing very well in post-theater uh, release, which is great and fantastic, uh, and, and I urge people to check the film out in any way that they can. It's available on DVD, and it was on HBO recently. And it's available I, on streaming. You right. can get it at iTunes, right. Amazon. You know, it's it's out there. You can get it. Right. It's very unlike the and path to nine eleven. I mean, unlike the path of nine eleven. <laughs> yeah. But 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 here's here's the thing though. One of the things that I think is the most significant uh, reason uh, for the general uh, population to understand not just movie making, but media in general in this modern era as to why I think your film didn't hit in theaters is that I think we're living, and and Trump is a good example of this, I think we're living in an era where the incentives are all about appealing to a very small but energetic demographic. And you made a Christian movie, but you tried to make it, understandably, and to your credit, a mainstream for lack of a better term, broadcasting Christian movie. In other words, a Christian movie right. that would appeal to all sects of Christianity. Right. Instead of picking one, <laughs> focusing on it, and giving that crowd exactly what they wanted. Do you see what I'm saying? Sure. And, and had you done that, the movie would have done better in theaters because that's what gets fannies in the seats, is, is appealing to a very, it might be small, but if it's energetic enough, it will work as opposed but to what, what do you think that demographic is? Well, here's where I'm getting at with part of the problem was because Jesus was non-biblical, right. right? You had to appeal to a demographic that I'm not sure exists no, I with, think you're with, right. within yeah. Christianity, right? Because, because the hardcore energized audience there is your, you know, let's, let's say your um, evangelical Christians, right? Your evangelical Christians had a reason to not be thrilled about it because well, wait a minute, this is in the Bible. Is this am right. I gonna, am I right. going to go to hell if I go see this movie? Right. Uh, you know, even though many religious leaders were saying this is good, this is fine, no, you know, fantastic. By the yeah, way, we got a ton of endorsements, which meant nothing. Okay, let, let me. By the way, before we before we leave on that, how big of a fraud is the entire uh, Christian media uh, complex uh, with regard to what they promise as opposed to what they deliver? Big time. Big time fraud. I mean, look, I think part of it, too, is I don't think they have the impact they used to have. And I think they know it, but they act like they do. So the people who are pretending that they're influencers among the the Christian community are frauds. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not going to mention any names, but Uh, I'll just say they're just. (laughs) I know who they are. There are certain huge broadcasting networks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that. I just don't think they have the impact they have. I don't think they have the clout they think they have, or they try to show you that they have. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's about the message. Uh, it's it's dollars and cents. And it's how much can we get from the filmmaker or the the right. performer? It's a business or the whoever. How much can we get, and how little can we get away with giving? It's exactly like conservatism. It's exact to me. It's the whole. This I go back to Trump, Tr- and whether Trump understood this and took advantage of it or just got lucky, I don't know. But it's the same concept. The conservative media is all a bunch of frauds, too. It's a business disguised as a cause. You, right. you ran into the same thing within the Christian right. media community. And my point here is this. 
is that to me that is an indication of how and why Hollywood in general is broken because we are seeing that this is what makes a movie successful. The, the, no longer do you make movies for everybody. You must pick a very, sometimes an incredibly small sliver of a demographic. And this is who we're going to target. And this is who we're going to make feel good. And anybody else, we don't care. Right. And, we, they, and they better be a demographic that actually watches movies. Right. <laughs> Which means young male teenagers or, right. you know, I mean. I that, mean, look, the, look at the, the, the horror thriller market. You know, it just doesn't die. It's through the roof. And that's the demographic. It's teenagers. You know, this movie Split, Shyamalan did, did huge business. There's, there's one this weekend, I forget the name of it, a huge business. Uh, and that's kids. So based upon your experiences, do you agree with me that Hollywood is, the movie making process is fundamentally broken? Yes. Explain, yeah, it is. tell me why you Well, first it. of all, I think, look, just go, go to the theaters, okay? One Theater, uh, theaters all across the country are trying to make it more comfortable, more palatable for you to sit in a theater and watch a movie with the reclining seats, the padded seats. You can order food. You got waiters coming in. But what is the most shocking thing about when you walk into those theaters, John? You walk in and you realize there's probably a third, uh, actually two-thirds less seats that were in that same complex, that same room five years ago. What does that tell you? That tells you people aren't going to the theaters. Okay? It's just the, the, the theater business is broken. It is in serious trouble. Also, you've got now, what, all of these new uh, formats on television. You can watch at home. You can punch it up. You can stream it. Netflix, Amazon. You've got all kinds of new stuff coming, whether it's Apple or iTunes or whoever. The bottom line is people can stay at home very conveniently watch what they want to watch, and stop watching it if they don't like it and not get burned like you do going to a movie theater where you're with ticket prices, with the family, with popcorn, with everything else. It can be an expensive night. And, and so, to me, this manifests itself in, in many ways. Um, for me, as a movie consumer, it means I never get any movies that are, are intended for me. No, nobody's making a movie for me. Uh, I guess because my demographic, you know, I, I got a, one young kid, another one coming. The only movies we ever go see are kids' movies. Right, uh, right. And, and what I find amazing uh, about movie making, and I, I see this in other realms of media too, oftentimes movies do amazing things from a technical standpoint. Right. Amazing things that are my – in fact, I actually think they're doing things that are – too mind-blowing from a technical standpoint because now we're immune to anything. We're, it's impossible to impress us from a technical standpoint, yeah, right? Yeah, and, there's truth to that, and, sure. And, and yet, <clears throat> why is it, and you're, you're a writer, you're a director, why is it that the storytelling in movies is so bad? <laughs> what, I mean, it's so bad. Well, look, you get, you get caught up in sort of the franchise comic book formula. Right. Which they know... The more money they spend, the more they spend to advertise it, the more people are going to come. This has just been proven out now through through the years that there is an audience for it. It's the same audience we were talking about earlier. Um, 
the movies that you and I want to see, they know that audience is out there, but they don't necessarily go to see it. A lot of us will say, you or I will say, well, you know what, I'll see that when it's available on streaming or I'll watch it at home or I can't go because I got kids or I got whatever interfering. So we'll eventually get around to seeing it, but they don't want eventual returns. They want opening weekend. returns. Opening weekend is all that matters. Right. And and this goes to the what I mean by the process of movie making being broken. Again, it's a lot like the conservative media. This is exactly how Trump yeah. came about because the, the conservative media mo- business model is broken, so they needed Trump to come temporarily save it. Similarly, the the movie making business model, which used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, Cy, if you were a name her actor, a name director, you could make almost any movie you wanted under the theory that if we make 10 movies, two of them are going to be hit. Right. We'll make all, we'll make back all the money we might lose on the other eight because we're basically a, a, a license to print money. But now that the business model has, has broken, now they have to pick their slots and nobody wants to get fired from their cushy gig. So the no one ever gets fired signing off on Iron Man 8. Right. right? You cannot get fired with Iron Man 8. Right. You might get fired if you do a movie that no one's ever heard of from a un, uh, with a no-name actor, a no-name director, and it doesn't do well. And so, and, and that's, you know, I, I believe that Goodwill Hunting today never gets, ha- never gets made. Is that, is that a fair? No, I think that's fair. I think, look, uh, you can even get fairly named stars who have sort of their pet projects they want to do, and they can't get them made. I mean, even uh, a few years ago... Uh, it, Spielberg was really having difficulty getting his Lincoln movie made. This is Spielberg. Right. Um, at one point, they were considering doing it for HBO. So, anyway. That's <laughs> amazing. And then, to that end, I mean, you've got a couple of uh, big-time projects in the hopper, and I know you're constantly talking to potential actors. The, the goal was always to get a name actor attached to a movie, which helps with funding. But I'm curious, are we now in an era where there's so few movie stars "Quote unquote stars," and where the business model was so broken, who, what actor can actually get a movie made on their own in this day? If, and age? if he's an actor who's done, who is popular in China, <laughs> I mean, let's seriously, face, yeah. Let's face it: the Chinese market now is, I think, if it isn't already, is soon going to be bigger than the U.S. and or than the North American market. So what you've got is huge clout now. Now, and the, and the Chinese really like. The big franchise action special effects laden movies, maybe because that's all they've gotten from us. I don't know, but I don't know if they get you know whatever. Uh, I can't. So even basically, Russia has in, has uh, <laughs> taken over our presidency, and China has taken over our movies, our entertainment. Is, is, yes, is that basically? There's a movie I'm... out right now uh, called I think it's called The Great Wall with Matt Damon. Right. It is completely he's very very Asian. Yes. Very Asian. Well, he's it, this movie is completely tanking. In North America. But it will do great in China. It is doing huge in China. So they don't care. They don't care. They don't care that it's tanking in America anymore. Right. That's, but, but give me a name. I mean, because I know you've had some really big names attached to some of your films and, and people, you know, who maybe 10 years ago would have been able to get movies made on their name alone. Give me a name of somebody who can get almost anything made. Wow. That's hard. I mean, maybe Tom Cruise. 
which is amazing considering the fact that he's part of a Scientology cult and you know, his career should have his his career should be completely toast by this point, and he's the only one that can still get a movie made. It's just amazing. Yeah, I but, mean, yeah, it, it, it's hard to say. I'm I'm trying to think of others, but um, they're out there. There there are actors who certainly help. You know, if if they're attached, they're going to help a good deal. But I think Tom Cruise can get anything made. But, but that but the list is very short at this it's, point. It's very short, and it's not even guaranteed. No, because you, as I've alluded to, you've had some re- names that everybody would know, and even then, with a really good idea, you couldn't necessarily get the movie made. Right. And and right. one of the movies, by the way, that you've had on the on the hopper, um, I, I want to talk about because it's it's directly related to a couple things going on in the news, and it's political. And, and that is that you want to do a movie, you're in the process, I guess, you've already written it and you're hoping right. to get it made, uh, called The Last Campaign. And it's, right. called, it's about the, the last campaign of Bobby Kennedy. Right. Tell us about that. It's not a biopic. It is about his 1968 run for the presidency where he, in, in, during the primaries, had decided to declare that he was basically going to challenge the sitting president of his own party, Lyndon Johnson, at the time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, there was all the civil rights upheaval, rioting in the streets, Vietnam was in full swing, the anti-war movement. So Robert Kennedy sort of made a decision that I'm going to challenge the sitting president of my own party and run this campaign and do what I think is right. And I think part of what he was doing also was sort of to sort of rid himself of a lot of the dark sort of baggage of the ruthless uh, Bobby who was the behind the scenes you know, manipulator and worker for his brother becoming president. And also when he was attorney general, there were just a lot of sort of nasty things that he was associated with. And I think that in 68, he decided he was going to chuck all of that, do and say the right things and try and at least give it a shot. It was a long shot run. Um, It was an 82 day run for the presidency the night in which he won the California primary and basically become the presumptive nominee because Johnson had said he wasn't going to run again and basically had bailed. The night that he wins the California primary becomes the presumptive nominee, he is shot and killed. So it's a story about his campaign, what it meant at the time, what it could mean to us now looking back upon it. We're out to, uh, we're talking to a, a number of different really interesting names and actors. I actually think the whole Trump thing is helping us. I was going to ask you. In, in trying to set up this project, there's just been a ton more interest. I've got two uh, financiers circling it. And, and it's a, because of a backlash against Trump. Exactly. I think it is. I think people want to remember and recall a time when we supported candidates that, I don't know, I, we believed in we had hope and faith in and it was just and also could actually stand up and talk about the issues in a halfway intelligent (laughs) and sensitive manner (laughs) well i certainly hope it gets made if only for the fact that i i can't wait for the rich irony of the guy who the clintons destroyed over path 9-11 making the story of bobby kennedy's last campaign that would be uh that would be something that would be tremendous we we will we will uh, meet and talk about that one okay (laughs) All right, we'll be maybe. But that leads that leads me to tonight's Academy Awards, which I do want to talk to you a little bit about since that's the the yes. news hook for why you're here. Because one of those who's nominated is Natalie Portman for her portrayal of Jackie Kennedy. Yes, yes. In in the movie called, oddly enough, Jackie. And I 
had high expectations for this movie, which is always dangerous, especially in this day and age when movies generally stink. Um, and w- what I found amazing, I, I'm curious if you've ever had uh, a similar experience or one that you maybe think is more dramatic. I can't remember a greater disparity between how good the performance of the main star of a movie was and how utterly horrendous the rest of the movie was than this. Because I think Natalie Portman deserves to be nominated. I thought she did a really great job as Jackie, which is not an easy part to play because she's... No, it was, a great, it was a great bit of casting, and she was fantastic in it. And, um, you know, um, she probably... Uh, her getting attached to it is probably what got it made, her wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, I, I was mildly disappointed. I, I don't agree with you completely, but I do agree with you to a certain extent. I just felt like I wanted more from the experience. Maybe the timing of it had something to do with it, the timing of the movie coming out during this whole Trump election thing, right. and maybe our expectations, our hopes, or whatever were were higher. Um, but I, I think she's the only... I don't think there are any other nominations for the movie. I think she's, no, she's the only. It. <laughs> yeah, she's it. Because that movie was terrible, and she and, and, she deserved it. Yeah, and, and you should be very happy with the fact that the guy who played Bobby Kennedy was the the worst cast uh, character I've ever seen in any movie. I mean, uh, you, you, whoever you you could pick me as Bobby Kennedy, and I would do a better <laughs> job than that Bobby Kennedy and Jackie. I mean, it's just awful. And uh, and, and I you know the, everyone always. I think the, I'm curious. Do you think the Kennedys have become because it's now so long. I mean, it's been a long time. The 60s are, are a long time right, ago. Right. That now that, that who Bobby and John Kennedy were has become almost like a caricature, caricature in people's minds well, as opposed I, to the real person. I think that might be more true with JFK, with mm-hmm. John Kennedy. I don't think it's so much true with Bobby Kennedy. I, I, I don't think people have as clear or distinct a vision or memory of what Bobby Kennedy stood for and what he was about. Um, I think he kind of got overshadowed um, in time. One of the things I'm excited about about this movie is the idea that people are going to sort of re-experience and walk away and go, wow, I didn't know that, you know, about Bobby Kennedy. But also more than anything else, I want them to sit in the theater and get caught up in a campaign and almost think like they could go out of the theater and vote for the guy. You think it's going to get made? Uh, if we get if we get the right actor, yes. Okay. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. A couple other things on the Oscars tonight. Um, best motion picture. Um, I did not see um, all of these. I saw a few of of those that were nominated. It, everyone thinks that La La Land is going to sweep everything, right? And um, you know, my view of La La Land is that it was nice, and um, but it's going to get overrated because of two things in Hollywood. Uh, one, it's about Los Angeles, and two, it's about the movies. And so, therefore, any movie that's about Los Angeles and about the movies is always going to be overrated. And in my view, La La Land... Uh, and a shoe-in for the Academy Award. Right. And a shoe- <laughs> do, do you agree that those yeah, two it factors... Is, it, it, is, it is a love letter to Los Angeles and a love letter to Hollywood. The Chamber of Commerce couldn't have paid for La La Land. Uh, right. I mean, and, and look, I like the movie. So, And, and, and right after I saw it, I said uh, to uh, my wife, Betsy, I said, that's going to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. So, and it was because of those reasons. Because it was so perfectly constructed to appeal to Academy voters. Yes. Uh, But what did you think of it as a movie? I liked it. Here's my problem. Look, I I, I think that, 
you know, there have been Academy Award winning best picture movies that are classics. Mm-hmm. And there have been Academy Award winning best winning movies that are, you look at them and you go, how did that win? And there are other ones that were saying, well, that was pretty good, but is it a classic? No. You know, so. Well, but the reason why La La Land is, I think, also getting a lot of attention is that it's so different than the normal movie. Uh, and because it's kind of, I don't even know what the right word is. Maybe you, you have it, but it's not really, a, a lot of it's not real. A lot of it appears to be fantasy. Right. Uh, intermixed with reality. Right. Uh, and, and, and maybe this is the explanation for my problem with the movie, and maybe you can help me out especially as a guy who, who's written many, many scripts. <laughs> My biggest problem with La La Land is that there are two, maybe three, major plot points that are completely destroyed by the existence of the smartphone. And the smartphone is in the movie. Okay, so, so, you know, it's a modern-day movie. They show people using smartphones. Right. And yet, major plot points would never happen because of the existence of a smartphone. That, to me, bothered me, including, by the way, the, the climax of the film and the way the whole film ends up working out would never occur in an era where people have email and text and, and cell phones. Uh, so am I being too much of a stickler for reality? Uh, and, 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 no, I get it. I mean, look, uh, I, I felt the same way about a movie I saw the other night, Split, you know? There are three teenagers who were kidnapped by this guy. Nobody has a cell phone. <laughs> well, hasn't in a, in a weird way, hasn't the smartphone made uh, a lot of movie plot lines obsolete? I mean, it, it may have. You know, you, I think you've got to play with it. You've got to work with it. You sort of sh- at least show the effort or the energy. I mean, look, I, I text people and sometimes they don't respond or they don't read it, especially millennials. So, you know, <laughs> it's, I think. I, I I do think it, it it has to be considered in today's world. You're right. Well, it just felt odd to me that I mean, and I, I don't think I'm. But I, I'm curious. What is it that in the climax? Because she walks into the club with her husband. No, no. What I mean by the climax is the fact that their relationship breaks up because she takes a movie in Paris. I, right. I mean, seriously, in this day and age, you you, you have this great love affair, and you're gonna dest- you're not only just gonna destroy the relationship, you're have any contact again ever because, because she takes a movie in paris seriously <laughs> well, paris is still a long way away okay, well, it's not forever and there's like i said my gosh there's skype you can skype every night if you want to now i mean what it's it's actually a nice vacation for the relationship yeah, i mean that's true. So, I, so that that bothered me um and i'm a huge emma stone fan i think emma stone is hilarious i think she's smart uh, i don't even like redheads and and you know i i think i hope she wins i don't think she will uh for best actress what else did you like on the on the best motion picture list uh, we got arrival fences hackshaw ridge uh, hell or high water hidden figures la la land lion manchester by the sea and moonlight which movies you know what Th- those are all good those are all good movies i liked hackshaw ridge i liked i liked fences I mean, there's just some great scenes in that with, uh, you know, uh, I know Denzel Washington and the August Wilson play. A lot of people felt, oh, you just filmed the play. But, boy, I got caught up in it. I liked Arrival. Um, I liked pretty much all of those movies. I, I, I don't think it was a bad year. I think, it was a ba- I think it was a year with a lot of solid movies up there. Um, Hidden Figures. I mean, Hidden Figures, to me, 
is a possible upset over La La Land. Really? I think that could happen. Why? Because I think it's a real feel-good movie about these these you know, African American women in the in the fifties, sort of. I don't know if you've cracking heard. Cracking NASA. I don't, I don't know if you've heard, but the Academy was under a little pressure last year because of the lack of African American nominations. Yes. So that was only like eighty percent of the ceremony last year, yes. as hosted by Chris Rock. So that's a real so, shame too, because then 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 you say to yourself, well, is Viola Davis going to win tonight? Because of her performance, is she going to win tonight because a bunch of people got upset last year? And she's such an incredible uh, uh, actress, and her performance is fantastic in that movie. The very idea that you'd have to think that is unfortunate. Cyrus, what you just said there is the most wise thing you've said in this entire interview, not that you, that you haven't said a lot of wise things. I couldn't agree with that more. It pisses me off that, that uh, people, for their own liberal agenda make this an issue, and they destroy the accomplishment for the foreseeable future. Because now you are forced to wonder, okay, was Denzel really that good? Or was it just because they needed a black guy who people knew to nominate to make sure that the controversy from last year was extinguished? And you're not being irrational. In fact, you would be irrational if you didn't have that reaction. And that's not fair. That's wrong. And it really, it pisses me off because it, it has the exact opposite uh, result as what would be theoretically intended by the original uh, controversy. Um, Manchester by the Sea. I'm curious uh, what you think of that one, because as a dad, <laughs> that one uh, hit me hard. Um, uh, yeah. th- uh, you know, that one um, is a very, very morbid uh, movie. And it's gotten a, uh, several nominations, including in the actor category. Did you think that, that deserved it? Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was terrific. I, you know, I, there, there's a kind of slow burn to that movie that when you finally get smacked by it, it's huge. Uh, it's powerful. I thought Casey Affleck was fantastic. Is that Casey Affleck's, though? Isn't he just playing himself? I mean, that seems like what he is in real life. Well, he's pretty good. Okay. He was right for the part. No, no, that's true. <laughs> and, and Hacksaw Ridge is a guy who... Um, Obviously, you made a Christian movie last year, a movie about Christ, literally a Christian movie. And I think it's not a stretch to say that Hacksaw Ridge is a Christian movie. No. Are, you, are you surprised that it has gotten a, a, you know Best Director, Best uh, Actor, Best Motion Picture nomination, given the fact that it's perceived as a Christian movie? You know, I am a little surprised. Honestly, I am. Yeah. Um, and I think it's deserved. But... Um, when you factor in what it's about, who made it, et cetera, I wouldn't have predicted that. And, and I, I know you think a lot, a lot of Andrew Garfield, who uh, was the star in that movie. He's terrific. Um, and what I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize until after I saw it, it's basically a true story. And it's really a true story, right. as opposed to a Hollywood real story, which means it's bullcrap. Um, you know, my understanding is it's, it was pretty close yeah. to true, correct? Pretty close to truth, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, bottom line on all this is, um, you know, I actually think that the Oscars are emblematic of a lot of what we talked about here. Because the Oscars, while it's still a big event, because there's no such thing as broadcasting anymore, because everything is demographic focused, there are so few movies that can appeal to a broad range of audience anymore that the Oscars, which is basically the Super Bowl for movie making, can no longer get the type of an audience that it used to because right. because they don't they're not drawing from the same 
pool of people. And that's why in order to survive as an entity, the Academy Awards has basically sold its soul, much like the Super Bowl did with the halftime show. The Oscars has now sold its soul to the whole pre-awards fashion show business. Right. Uh, Do you see that? Sure. Do you agree with that? No, I do agree with that. And I also think part of the problem is, too, that – and that's where a lot of this sort of activism, just just bold activism in people's faces doesn't help either because I'm going to be interested to see how this affects the viewership of the award ceremony tonight. And also – and I do think it affects – People even going to the movies to see some of these actors or actresses on screen. I just think it, it, it's hard to separate that for a large segment of the audience out there that they want. Cyrus Narasta, great spending time with you as always. Uh, he is the most well known for the day of the Reagan, the day Reagan was shot, the path of 9/11, stoning of Soraya M, and the Young Messiah, which is still available. Uh, very, via numerous uh, mediums. We hope that you'll check that out. And we hope uh, to be able to talk to you again soon about uh, the making of the last campaign of, of Bobby Thanks, Kennedy. John. Thank you. Always great to talk to you, Cyrus. Uh, that'll do it for hour number two of this week's uh, podcast. Make sure that you do two things. Share this on social media. And if you're one of those uh, people who sleeps at night and you actually use sheets, do yourself a favor, listen to this upcoming message and go to our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. My name's John Ziegler. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.